Lord be our vision and the ruler of our hearts. I have been going through the letter of First John every Sunday morning whenever I've gotten this uh, opportunity to bring to you God's word. And uh, today we find ourselves in First John chapter 3. I will uh, be considering verses 7 to 10, but we will read from verses 1 to 10 before we look at God's word. So let's turn there to First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3 verses 1 to 10. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let us ask the Lord to help us as we look at his word this morning. O oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning we have just sung that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for you. And, O oh Lord, as we are about to look at your word, we pray that you would help us to understand it. You would help us to absorb it. You would help us that 
it would produce fruit in our heart. Oh Lord, we pray that you would guard the seed of your word, that the evil one would not come and take it. We pray that you would guard the seed of your word, that it would fall on the right ground in our hearts so that it would produce good fruit. Guide my words, guide my thoughts, help me, O oh Lord, to be faithful, to be simple, to be clear. Please be with us. May Christ increase and may I decrease as your word goes on. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We live at a time when the banner of our day has been what matters, isn't it? If you look at the U.S. with the challenges they've had in the past uh, year and with all the racial tension that was there, and you had one group of people say, this group of people matter. And another group of people say, this group of people matters. <clears throat> and the same motto has spread throughout the world where we are now considering and thinking what matters. In the workplaces, as we consider um, our employment contracts, as we consider our job environments, people are asking themselves, what matters so that I uh, may do my work well or so that I may be important? But as we, we look at the world grappling with what matters, what is important, what ought to be the thing that is most emphasized in culture, in politics, in economics, we as a church need to ask ourselves, what does the Bible show that is important. What are the things that the Bible shows that matter in the church, that matter in our personal lives, that matter in our marriages, that matter in our interactions with the world and with one another? What is that thing that matters? What is that thing that is so important that the Bible tells us on this stand and fight and die on it? It is definitely what, not what the world tells us that matters. As we look at this passage this morning, my hope and my desire is that each and every one of us, each person listening to this preaching, we live here, or for those who are watching us via the live stream, we'll see that one of the critical things 
that has always mattered in religion, in the true religion, in the Old Testament, and that still matters today, is the moral lifestyle. Is our conduct, is how we interact with the world, how we interact with our own sin, how we interact with the sin that is being perpetuated all around us. This, dear brethren, matters. It is important. And as we look at this passage and how John talked to the church, we need to remember again that he was writing to a church that false teachers had infiltrated that church. There are people whom he calls the antichrists. Not the antichrist, but the antichrists, many, who had found their way into this church, probably a church in Asia Minor in today's Turkey. They had found their way in, claiming to be believers, uh, probably gotten positions of authority, but then they started teaching wrong things. And one of the things that they attacked, we looked at this, that they attacked the teaching on the person of Christ. They denied that Christ came in the flesh. And that's why if you look at 1 John chapter 1, John is saying, we saw him, we heard him, we even touched him with our own hands. He wasn't a phantom, we touched Jesus. Because the Gnostics, these false teachers are probably the Gnostics, they were telling the church, Jesus didn't appear in the body. He was a phantom. He appeared, but you could not really touch him. He was like a, a ghost, just a phantom. And John is saying, no, never. We heard him. We saw him. We put our hands where the nails went through. We put our fingers where the nails had pierced him. But then, the other thing that these men were teaching, which was horrible and now was bringing trouble to the church, is that they were not focusing or they were trying to minimize the place of our moral living. And so as we look at this topic on the fact that moral lifestyle mattered to the church, then it must matters to the church now. I want us to see, first of all, what Paul, or rather what John says, and that is that, first of all, beware, be on the lookout, watch out, because there is a teaching, a false teaching that minimizes the place of moral lifestyle or the place of morality. And he says this, little children, let no one deceive you. There are many deceivers that have gone out into the church. And even today, 
there are many deceivers who have gone out into the church. And John wants to protect the church. He wants to show the church that you are a blessed group of people, but you are being attacked. You are in danger. The church of Christ, as John shows here, is the most precious group of people in the eyes of God. John calls them little children to show them that they are beloved of God, that they are precious before God. And they are also precious and important and beloved to the Apostle John. They are precious because God has set his love on them. And he has saved them by the precious, redeeming work of Christ on the cross. And we see this in First Peter, that we have not been saved or been bought by or ransomed by perishable things as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. But God had, or God has saved his church so that he can make them to be a people who are peculiar. Now that's important. God has saved his church. God has saved his elect so that they may be a people who are different, who are peculiar from the world around them. And this is something that we even see in the Old Testament. Why did God save Israel from Egypt? I always ask this question. Please don't be tired of me asking this question because it is very important. Did God save the Israelites from the bondage of Pharaoh so that they could run around and do what they want? Is that the reason he saved them? God says that I saved you so that you may be my people. I didn't save you so that you can do what you want. And in the same way, God did not save his people. God did not save you so that you can do what you want. So that now finally I am free. I can do whatever I want. No, that is not the gospel. And John is telling the church, be careful because there are people who are saying that. The old enemy of God's people is never at rest. He knows that God has saved the church. He knows that God has saved us so that we may be a different people, a peculiar people. And he is therefore ever working to ensure that the difference between God's people and the world is blood or erased. That's the work of the devil. That is the number one job of the devil. Look at the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. What is the work of the devil? It was to make sure that God's people are corrupt or to bring corruption into God's people. To blur the line between the church and the world or to even erase that line. He did it with the, with the Israelites in Canaan, isn't it? 
he, he brought in deceivers or false teachers. And one of them is Balaam. And we see in Numbers, if you look at, at your own time, you can look at Numbers 25 and Numbers 31, and you will see the sin of Balaam. Balaam knew, and he even told the king of the heathen nations that, listen, you people cannot do any damage to these people. I cannot curse these people. But if you want to destroy these people, cause them to, to sin. And we see that 24,000 people are killed by the Lord because of this false teaching. A false teaching that said, ah, you can engage in sexual immorality and still be God's holy people. You can still engage in drunkenness and still be God's holy people. You can still take bribes and be corrupt and be one who hates other people and still be God's holy people. That is the work of the devil. It is a lie that is still being preached today that minimizes the place of moral living. And John is telling the church, let no one deceive you. This is a deception. This is a deception. It is dangerous. You are playing around with poison. And things, we need to be on our guard. We need to be watchful for such teachings. A teaching that minimizes the place of moral living. A teaching that minimizes the place of holiness. A place that tells you, well, you know what? You can never be perfect. So why are you trying so hard? Yes, we will never be perfect this side of eternity. But if we are the children of God, we ought to be holy even as God is holy, isn't it? We must pursue holiness. Whether we are at our workplaces and everyone else takes bribes. And even those so-called Christians are telling you, but you see, this is the normal. This is culture. This is the culture of this government department. We take bribes, so why not do it? That deception is being spoken all over the place, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our informal meetings with people, and sadly, even in churches today. We have people who say, well, because there is grace, we can therefore sin. Some people, the way they teach grace, they teach grace as if grace is a license to doing what you want to do. Don't buy into that. This idea of now that you are saved, always saved, so do.
whatever you want. Actually, there is, there is strong evidence that what, what Paul says in um, Romans 6 was part of this problem that was there in the church in Asia Minor. That some of that teaching or a strain of that teaching had found itself in Rome. And there were some people who were actually telling people in Rome, you know what? Because grace has come, let us do what? Sin so that grace may abound. Can you imagine such a teaching? And Paul says, forbid it that we should sin so that grace may abound. We are dead to sin. Samarugi is going through Romans, so hopefully he will get there. I don't need to pound on that so much. It is still here, brethren. And John is saying, be careful. Watch out. Let no one deceive you. Any teaching that minimizes the holiness of the church, any teaching that minimizes the pursuit of holiness, the place of killing sin, the place of being different from the world morally. It's a false teaching that should be shunned, should be exposed, and should be cast out. We see John makes it clear that the grace that saves is the grace that sanctifies. Yes, we are saved by grace alone, and we say, Amen. We are saved by grace through faith, and we say amen to that. But this grace that saves is a grace that sanctifies. Never forget that. He says together with Paul, look at what Paul says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us, and this is important. So what is the purpose of God's grace? To save us. But then, the purpose of God's grace, it is to train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Have you been saved by grace? Amen. But then if you have been saved by grace, holiness matters. Godliness matters. Being different from the world matters. Killing our own sin matters. It is not something that we uh, do once in a while, it is our lifestyle to kill sin in our own life. To control ourselves. To control ourselves. When, when, when the world is involved in things like binge-watching series, because I know this is a problem for many young people. For us, we have self-control. It's one of the things that Paul says there. We have self-control and we will not binge watch anything as the world. 
whether it be football, whether it would be a movie, whether it be a series, we control ourselves. We are different from the world. Brethren, holiness matter. Godliness matter. Any teaching that minimizes the place of godliness, any teaching that minimizes the place of moral living is a false teaching. It is deception. Be on the lookout. This is what, this is what John is saying. But having said that, we see that secondly, as we look at this important reality that our moral lifestyle matters, John will now show that there are two families world. And he will show that there is a family of God and that the children of God reject a lifestyle of sin. So you will notice that the two families are actually divided by what they reject or by what they oppose. And it doesn't mean oppose in terms of words, but what their lifestyle opposes. He shows that the children of God reject a lifestyle of sin. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Note that. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. John will now, the Apostle John will now reveal to the church and to us that the ongoing doctrinal and moral division in the church, because this church had that division, there was a doctrinal and there was a moral division. And he is actually saying, what you guys are seeing is actually a, a representation of a bigger reality. It is actually a representation of two spiritual families that are present in the visible church. Now I need to add that word, visible. Those who we see but we can't see their hearts. He's saying, look at the way that people are divided doctrinally and morally. It is a reality of what's happening deep down spiritually. It is a deeper issue. And that's why godliness matters. There are two families in existence. Now, the Apostle John is not teaching dualism. Dualism is a heresy. Because all, whether good or bad, even the devil are God's creatures, isn't it? As we see in John chapter 1 verse 3, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So this is not dualism. Everything belongs to God. But while all are is by creation. Some are his children, his spiritual children, 
because of saving grace, while others are the children of Satan by living a life of sin. Now, such a sermon is unpopular today, but I like how John does not pull any punches. He doesn't pull any punches. He simply says that whoever keeps sinning, the child of the devil. Whoever pursues righteousness is a child of God. Now you might ask, hey, John, aren't you preaching work salvation? Forbid it. John wouldn't do that. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't do that. What he's saying is, there is a deeper reality that makes people to live the way they are living. And that we need to consider this reality. Those who are born of God, as John states, cannot sin or keep on sinning. Now, the word used here for, uh, or the phrase there, cannot, um, is the word dunamai, Greek, which means to be able or to have power of. So what John is saying is that the believer is not under the power of sin for they are dead to it, okay? So he's not saying that believers never sin. He's saying believers are not given to the power of sin. He's saying that those who are the children of God do not surrender themselves to the power of sin. They are tempted to, into it and they do fall but it is not their lifestyle. They do not, they therefore do not sin carelessly. The children of God do not sin remorselessly. They do not sin maliciously and participate in sin as Cain did, because the contrast, by the way, is found in verse 12, where he says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So he's saying, listen, those who are the children of God, yes, they will be tempted, yes, they will fall, and sometimes it is true that the children of God do fall into horrible sins. But they repent, they are remorseful, and they ever, they are ever running to the cross for help. They are not under the power of sin. And this is something that needs to be preached because the teaching of godly living is slowly and slowly leaving many, pul many pulpits. Sadly, even among reformed circles, that, that emphasis of godly living, that emphasis of 
the children of God reject sin. They hate sin. They are not careless with sin. Needs to be preached. And John gives a reason. There is a reason why they hate and reject sin. He says that they have the seed of God, or God's seed abides in them. And although many people have wondered, what does this seed mean? Does it mean um, they have the Bible with them? Some commentators would say the word of God. Some commentators would say um, it would be the fellowship with the brethren, the different things. But looking at it and looking at the wider Bible, I am strongly convinced that this is the, the power of the Holy Spirit or the indwelling Holy Spirit in them. Because it is through the Holy Spirit that the new birth is effected. It is through the Holy Spirit that the new birth is sustained, isn't it? So John is saying, the family of God, those who are the children of God, pursue holiness. Because who indwells them? The Holy Spirit. By the way, have you ever thought about that? That the Spirit of God is called the Holy Spirit? We know that God is good. We know that God is love. We know that God is just. Why wasn't, I mean, why hasn't God revealed his Holy, the Holy Spirit as loving spirit, just spirit, good spirit? Because holiness, holiness is a great definer of who God is. He is holy. He is holy, and holiness has so many uh, ways of looking at it. But the most important thing is, if you look at, again, the Hebrew, the word holiness in Hebrew actually means different. So God is different from anything. You can't, that's why we can't worship God using anything in creation, because God is different. He is holy. He is unlike anything in creation. That's why we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, so that we may be holy. And to be holy is that, again, to be different. To be different from the world, to be different how the world thinks, to be different in how the world responds, to be different in how, what we pursue. Do we pursue the same things as the world? There ought to be a difference, saints. There ought to be a difference in the way that we interact with politics. I know next year there is an election. How do we respond? How do we interact with politics? We need to be holy. We need to be different from the world. Because the children of God are different from the world. Our difference is not, by the way, in how we dress or in what we say but our lifestyle. 
that when people are talking about politics and they hear you talk about politics, they say, wow, that's a different angle. That's a different way of looking at things. This person is not like us. As we pursue things like education, are we different from the world? Do we pursue education? Do we pursue careers because of the same reasons as the world? Because of sinful desires so that we may satisfy our own sinful desires to have more things and more power and more this? The children of God are different. The family of God have God as their father. And because God is holy, his children are holy. That's another command you, found, you find throughout the Bible. That when God saved Israel, he said, be holy as I am holy. Statement has been repeated again in the New Testament. Be holy as I am holy. Be like your heavenly father. Love those things that your heavenly father loves. But then having seen that, John will now go to show thirdly that so there is the family of God, the children of God who pursue holiness. They are not perfect, but they pursue holiness. But then he shows that there is another family that the children of the devil reject a lifestyle of righteousness. They reject righteousness. For them, righteousness is offensive. For them, righteousness is something that they don't want interaction with. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Why? For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. I like that with John. He's, he just goes straight at it. By this, is, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Having warned the church to beware of false teachers, to beware of the false teaching that minimizes the place of holy living, and having shown them that there is the family of God, those who pursue righteousness, the apostle John will now show that there are those who are the children of the devil. Now, what does it mean that there are, are those who are the children of the devil? Well, Augustine says this, that the devil made no man. The devil begat no man. The devil created no man. But whosoever imitates the devil becomes a child of the devil as if 
begotten of him. So although yes, you might say, why, why would John say such a strong statement? He's saying those who follow, those who imitate the lifestyle of the devil, because the lifestyle of the devil is to oppose everything righteous, everything holy, everything sanctified. That's his life. Again, um, have, you, have you ever thought, I, I remember someone asking me one day, why is it that the demons, in, especially in the Gospels, what are they called? Unclean spirit. Have you ever thought why? Why not just demons? Why are the writers of the Gospels ever calling them unclean spirit? And an unclean spirit was cast out of him. And an unclean spirit. Why the word unclean spirit? You need to realize that that is our phrase that is borrowed from the Old Testament. It is an Old Testament phrase, unclean. Because the unclean people, if you had a discharge, bodily discharge, if you had uh, touched a dead body, if you had leprosy, actually the people who had leprosy, whenever they would come to a place, they would always shout, unclean, unclean. In other words, I can't go to the temple. I can't go to the sanctuary. Even if you are a priest, you would keep away from the sanctuary. That is the work of the devil, looking for ways of making people unclean. Make you as unclean as he can. Make you as filthy as he can so that your conscience can't approach the presence of God. So there are those who are called the children of the devil. And this is a horrible status. I would say this is the worst status for anyone to be given. That for someone to be called the child of the devil. It's a great, great spiritual indictment. And John reveals those who are the children of the devil. It is not people who are necessarily in the world. It is those who proclaim by their tongues that they know God. and have experienced the saving grace of God, yet reject righteousness. In other words, it is the hypocrite. And we see this again. If you look at John 8 and verse 44, because this is not something that John says. John is actually taking the words of who? Christ. This is not a new thing that John is saying, that there are those who are the children of the devil. He is actually saying what Christ said. And what did Christ say in John 8, 44? So that we may understand why was John inspired to be so bold 
This is what Christ said to the Pharisees. You are of your father, who? The devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not understand, he does not stand in the truth, sorry. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So Christ was talking to the Pharisees. He wasn't talking to the tax collectors. He wasn't talking to the prostitutes. He wasn't talking to the drunkards. He was talking to the Pharisees. And he's telling them, you people have the law. You people read the law every day. You people say that you're defending the law. But your hearts are filled with sin. Your hearts are filled with wickedness. That's why John, by the way, uses this word in the church. Speaking to the church. Because they are hypocrites. With those who would say, I am a Christian. The Lord has saved me. He saved me this year and that year. But then when you examine the fruit, when you look for fruit, you find, you find the fruits of the flesh. Galatians 24. Anger, malice, wrath, hate. All those things. John is saying, how is it that you claim to be a child of God? And all these things are happening. Just as Christ was asking the Pharisees, how is it that you claimed, because the context actually in John 8, 44 is, the, the Pharisees had said, we are the children of Abraham. And Christ is saying, no, you are not the children of Abraham. Abraham had faith in God. Abraham obeyed God. You neither have faith and you, never, you neither have obedience. But the special mark for these people who are called the children of the devil, who reject righteousness, is found at the tail end of verse 10. Um, if you look at the tail end of verse 10, he says this, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, it's very important that he puts that there. Because this is a distinctive, especially a very distinctive mark. That those who hate, those who have a hatred in their hearts, show themselves to be the children of the devil. Those who hate the very people that Christ has died for. You remember in the beginning we saw that the church is precious to God? And that it is precious to God because he died, Christ died to redeem the church. For me to stand and hate the very people who Christ has died for. Who Christ has died with. Precious blood. John is clear. That is evil. That is wickedness. That is only something that comes from the devil. To hate the brethren. 
the devil has always hated God. The devil has always hated the children of God. The devil has always hated everything about God. Such that when God made Adam and Eve, the bearers of his image, what did the devil do? He went to the garden to tempt them because he hated everything about God. He hates the image of God. He hates the people of God. That's why he, he, he always sought to destroy Israel. That's why he always sought to cause them to sin. That's why, for example, he, he used a man like Haman in the book of Esther so that the, the, the Israelites would be destroyed. But then God intervened through Esther and they were saved. The devil hates. He is pure hate. If there is one way of drawing the devil would be that pure hate. And John is saying those who have hate for the brethren. Those who hate the brethren, you look at them and you demean them. You look down upon them. Maybe they don't have the same education as you have. Maybe they don't have the same socioeconomic status as you. Maybe they don't acknowledge your gifts, your abilities, and you hate the people of God. You hate the church of God. What a horrible thing. That is only the work of the devil. But I come to a close. There is hope. There is hope for those who have fallen into this. For those who are looking at themselves and they're saying, I really look at my own heart. I haven't really loved as I ought to. I've not lived as I ought to. For those who are still under the power of sin, there is hope. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that he will not turn anyone away. He will save you. He will transfer you from the family of the devil to the family of God. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 12, Paul speaking about the believers, and he tells us as a church, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain or the rule of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So for the believer, first of all, give thanks. Why? He has qualified us. We are full of sin. We fail. We fall. We do not pursue righteousness as we ought. But Christ has qualified us for this inheritance. He has redeemed us. But for those who are still in their sins, you've never repented of your sins. You're still trying to find hope and righteousness in your own way. You need to be delivered from the power of darkness, from the family of darkness. You need to be, the only way for you to be 
saved is for you to be transferred to the kingdom of Christ. Repent of your sins. Believe in Christ and he will save you. To the saints again, please consider this. Holiness matters. Godliness matters. Let us never minimize the place of holiness in our own personal lives and in our own corporate life. Corporately and personally, we must pursue holiness. And we thank God that he has given us his Holy Spirit so that we are able to do this. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this afternoon. We have just seen in your word how you have made a distinction between your family and the family of the evil one. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to live lives that are godly as your children, to be holy just as you are holy, O oh Heavenly Father. Help us that we would not be given to sin, rather that we would live self-controlled life, that we would reject the horrible and wicked ways of this world, the corruption, that is normal to the world, the sensuality that is normal to the world, the perversion that is normal to the world, and especially the hate that is, and the hate for the church that is there in the world. Oh Lord, help us that we would love one another with genuine love. that we would seek to live, to exalt the name of Christ among those who are saved. Oh, have mercy on us, O Lord. Save those who are still in their sins, that they would see that they need a savior, Christ, who alone is able to save. We know you are able to do it. And so, Lord, we thank you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.